Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Pauly, here as always with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. Excited for another episode. Likewise, we have a question from... Uh, that uh, is based out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. This is from listener Leanne. She says, I listen to your podcast, but don't know if you've covered this. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 says, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I've always heard, and my husband still firmly believes, the perfect mentioned here is referring to the written word of God or the Bible. Recently, I've heard from three different sources that the perfect is when Christ returns. This explanation actually makes sense to me, but I'd like your opinion about it. Thank you for your time and your podcast. Okay, well, let's jump in. Is this, before we jump in, I that was the first you even knew what we were talking about yeah. today. So is that is that uh, an argument that you've heard before? Is that something, are you familiar with this line of reasoning and this question? I have, I've heard uh, in terms of like talking about, I know like, a lot of groups believe about the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it's that's the written word, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't go beyond that for us today. Um, I, I don't know that I'd heard it from this specific passage, gotcha. um, but yeah, I've definitely heard that line of yeah. thinking before. Yeah, so so yeah, to your point, it, this, this question revolves around miraculous gifts, um, and and uh, particularly around the argument of cessation, cessations, ceasing, cessation. the ceasing of that's such a hard word, um, cessationism, um, the idea that there are no ongoing miraculous gifts. That as soon as this argument says that as soon as Scripture was fully revealed, as soon as the last book of the New Testament was written, then miraculous gifts ceased. Um, and so that that's the argument, is that in this passage, Paul is specifically referring to um, the, the full canon of Scripture, uh, and once the full canon of Scripture was revealed, then all of these temporary gifts, the miraculous gifts, would cease. Um, and so that, that would be today, that today, because we have the Bible, we don't need these temporary gifts, um, and, and that's how they're interpreting this this term that's translated the perfect. So mm. we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, um, but I think it's important why that argument is being used, um, because it's it's really based, I, I feel like, uh, that argument really revolves around, well, here we are, <laughs> and we don't seem to live in the same type of age. We don't seem to have the same type of experiences uh, that the first century church was having, right. uh, the speaking in tongues, the the healings, the uh, miraculous knowledge, the prophecies. Those things aren't going on like they were in the first century. Now, again, there are people that would argue uh, different sides of that, but even those that would argue that they're still continuing um, or that still happens, most of them would say, no, nothing like what we saw in the first century. So why is that? Why don't we see those same types of uh, miraculous gifts today? Um, And and so this is kind of a working backwards. It's taking the experiences and then trying to find... 
some sort of explanation in Scripture, uh, rather than working forward from the Scripture and saying this ought to shape the way we think about our experiences. Mm. Um, and I think that's the way we have to work. If we're going to do um, exegesis, if we're going to read the Bible and get the meaning out of the text, rather than eisegesis, which is uh, taking an, our own ideas and sort of imposing those onto the text or into the text, um, we, we've got to begin with the text, work our way out from there, and then apply it to our lives. We tend to get that backwards, and we work first with application and experience, and then we try to find a scripture that justifies our experience or explains our experience. Um, and, and I think that's just the back, a backwards way of, of reading scripture, but we tend to do that uh, very often. And I think, I think maybe uh, maybe that's part of what's going on here. Uh, but we'll, we'll read it, and then I'll explain why I, I sort of feel that way. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, uh, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So first of all, if we're going to talk about what does he mean in verse 10 by talking about the perfect, mm. in Greek it's teleos. We'll talk about what does teleos mean and, and what might that mean by the perfect. Is that talking about the return of Jesus? Is it talking about the canon of Scripture? Is it talking about something else? Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But first we have to get the big picture. And that's where we, a lot of times we go wrong is we, we want to jump into a verse and then you know, talk about its application and talk about you know, what does this word mean. And, and we forget sort of the, the big picture or the, the forest for the trees. Mm. We don't want to get so f focused on the trees that we forget the, the bigger picture that is part of the forest. So what is he talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, obviously he's talking about love, and he's talking about the fact that these people in Corinth— they felt very proud of the fact that they could speak in tongues or that they could prophesy or that they had these spiritual gifts. But Paul says none of that makes any difference at all. None of it matters if you don't have love. If you're not patient, if you're not kind, if you're rude, if you're envious, if you're all of these things, if you're resentful, then none of it matters. It does not matter which spiritual gifts you have. If you don't have love, it's nothing and it's meaningless. Now, that's an incredibly relevant and incredibly important um, part of what 
Paul says throughout all of his books. And then he he sort of transitions in the the latter part of verse 8, and he says, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. So there's that idea of, of ceasing. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So he does say that there's going to come a part, a point when all of these miraculous gifts, prophecies and miraculous knowledge and speaking in tongues, that all of these things will pass away, that they'll cease, they'll stop. You're, you're not going to have these forever. Um, and he says that that's when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, then all of these temporary things will pass away. Now, again, <laughs> keeping in mind the big picture, that the big picture is love each other. Love each other. Focus on that. That's the that's the gift, if you want to put it that way. That's the gift that's really important. Faith, hope, love. Focus on these things. And the greatest of those, or some might say the longest lasting of those, is love. So focus on love because these other things, they're not going to be around forever, but love will be around forever. So love one another. And if you don't love one another, then none of the rest of it matters. None of the rest of it matters. And, and again, that's very easy to understand what Paul means and very easy for not only the first century to apply that, that idea, but also for us to know what's the application of that for us. Love each other. Let's not fight over whatever. And it's ironic that we we get so upset and frustrated. I mean, even conversations about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit works. We can be rude, impatient, resentful, bitter, all of these things over a text where Paul is saying none of that matters mm. if you don't have love. So, yeah. so it doesn't matter if you have the right interpretation or the wrong interpretation. If you're not loving each other, then you're wrong anyway. Um, and so we got to keep that in mind, this big picture about, about love, that this is what Paul is talking about. Now, what does he mean by saying that there's going to come a point that, um, that all of these temporary things pass away, and so you need to focus on loving one another? Well, Again, some people, uh, to to the point of our listener, Leanne, Leanne said, you know, some people argue that that's the return of Jesus. Okay, that's a possibility. Others um, others reason that, that maybe this is Scripture. Um, it's right to say that there is no noun provided. There is only an adjective, the perfect blank. <laughs> the noun is implied— or not implied, but it's not supplied. It's not there. There is no noun. It's just an adjective. Um, same thing sort of happens when we say the dead. The dead will rise. Well, dead what? Dead dogs? No. Right. Dead dead flowers? No. Uh, dead people. That's what we're talking about. When we say the dead, um, it's an adjective, dead, but it's it's modifying a noun that is implied. People is implied. And we do that in English, and we, we do that in Greek. Um, and a lot of times you can pick up sort of um, a hint at, at what's being talked about by the gender of the adjective. So here you have the perfect what? The perfect, well, it's not a masculine, it, it's, so it's not a perfect man, and it's not feminine, so it's not a perfect woman. It's neuter. There, it's a neuter gender, and so it's, it's a perfect thing. So when the perfect thing, so again, it's a neuter adjective, so the perfect thing, when the perfect thing comes, so it's not a perfect person, so we're not talking about Jesus, 
Um, so again, that makes it kind of hard for us to interpret this as when Jesus comes, because it doesn't say when the perfect one comes, when the right. perfect man comes, then these imperfect things will pass away. Maybe it's talking about a time period. Maybe at that time that the perfect era or the perfect something like that. I'm not sure exactly how um, those that interpret this as the return of Jesus, I'm not sure how they would fit that in grammatically, because again, it, it's got to be a thing. It can't be a person. Um, so it's whenever this perfect thing comes. But, but I think we might find some clues in just, again, focusing on the context. So in context, he's contrasting completeness and partiality, or incompleteness. Again, look at verse 10. He says, but when the perfect, and again, that Greek word is teleos, uh, when the, the teleos comes, the perfect thing comes, the partial will pass away. So he's contrasting completeness versus incompleteness. And he then he even goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up gave up childish ways. So there's there's sort of two hints there because he's using other metaphors. And, and that helps us to understand what does he mean by teleos? Because teleos can mean maturity or it can mean completeness. And then he uses both ideas in the in the following phrases and he says when that which is impartial or that which is partial will pass away and then he compares it to maturity he says when i was a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child i spoke like a child but when i became a man i put away childish things so whatever the teleos is it is about completeness it's about fullness it's about maturity and and maybe my suggestion would be maybe that's about it. Like, maybe it's that. Maybe it is maturity. When maturity comes, yeah. when completeness comes, then the impartial, then that which is not complete, then immaturity passes away. When you reach maturity, you don't need immature things. When you reach adulthood, you don't need childish things. Right. And and however we interpret the perfect, the teleos, again, perfect isn't just about moral perfection. I think sometimes we want to stick Jesus in there because we think, well, Jesus is the only one who's perfect. Right. Well, that's moral perfection, and Jesus certainly is perfect. But the word teleos just means complete or full or mature. And and that's what happens when you reach maturity. You don't, you don't need immature things. So again, mm. no matter how we interpret the perfect, he's, he's saying that these miraculous gifts, these abilities to speak in tongues or to know things miraculously or to prophesy, these sort of represent impartial things. These represent childish things, that there's going to come a point of maturity. There's going to come a point of completeness where these things will no longer be present or will no longer be necessary. You might put it like training wheels on a, on a bicycle, that training wheels are necessary until the, the rider, the bike rider, reaches a state of teleos. Mm. When teleos comes, so you might say to a child who's riding on their bike, and they're getting really, let's say there's a kid, and the kid is really excited about their training wheels. My training wheels are red, and they're better than all of these kids with blue training wheels. Red training wheels are the best training wheels. Blue training wheels are silly. I can't believe anybody has blue training wheels. Red training wheels are the best 
chest training wheels. And the dad comes along and says, no, listen, when teleos comes, when maturity comes, then these impartial mm-hmm. things, these immature things will pass away right so now. So don't brag about the partial. That's right. That's ex- and that's exactly what they were doing. They that's were bragging about these immature things. They were bragging about their training wheels. And Paul is saying, stop focusing on the training wheels and focus on maturity. And maturity, what does it look like? It looks like faith and it looks like hope. And it looks like love. It looks like being patient. It looks like being kind. It looks like not envying. It looks like not boasting. It looks like not being resentful. This is what maturity looks like. Speaking in tongues or prophesying or having miraculous knowledge are not signs of completeness. They are not signs of maturity. In right. fact, all of these things are going to pass away when the teleos comes. They're when, part of the partial. That's exactly right. They're part of the partial. Mm. And, and so... Again, I don't know that we have to nail down like a specific thing. I struggle with the idea, and I've I've heard the idea my whole life, that this is Scripture, when Scripture is complete. But Paul never talks about it that way. So to me, that seems anachronistic, Mm. meaning we're reading that back into the text. Paul never talks about well, I'm writing this book and we're, we're getting closer and closer to that 27 books of the New Testament that we're eventually going to have. Like he doesn't, he doesn't talk like that as if he knows that this is one of 27 books. That, right. you know, when, when I tweet something and I, I build a thread, I know there's going to be seven tweets in that thread because I've broken it all out and I'll put one of seven, you know, two of seven, three of seven, four of seven. But Paul doesn't do that because... Right. It's not to say that God couldn't have told him there's going to be this sure. complete canon of New Testament revelation, and but but that's n- never part of doesn't, any yeah. of the apostles' writings. Doesn't seem like that's what happened because it seems like, especially in the context of writing these letters and for that matter, writing the Gospels, it was to address specific needs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that the Holy Spirit sure. didn't know what was going to come or that the Holy Spirit couldn't have revealed that to Paul or to the other apostles. But again, that doesn't fit anything else. There's no other right. passage we would go to and say, see, they knew that that these writings were an incomplete set and that eventually there would be a complete set. I just, I, I struggle with that interpretation. Yeah. Again, that seems like eisegesis to me. It seems like we know now that there's 27 books that we call the New Testament, and we know that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that 27 books was incomplete, and now they're complete. But again, that's not how he talked about his writings, and that's not, I don't think, how he thought about the revelation that was being given to him to share with the churches. But he does talk about teleos, maturity, and that these miraculous gifts were part of the immature stage of the church. Now, that's not to say, when we think about immature, we think wrong. Like if somebody says, stop being so immature, we think, well, they're doing something bad or something wrong. Right. But he's not saying that. It, it is appropriate for children to act like children. It is appropriate for a child who can't ride a bike yet to ride with training wheels, but it is inappropriate for them to get so attached to their training wheels that they forget they're supposed to be learning how to ride without them. And that's what he's saying in the context is he's saying, you've you've got to get beyond these gifts because these gifts are a temporary childish way Mm -hmm. of getting you to the point that you need to be. Uh, Now, again, 
that I don't think that he's giving them a definite time. Like in 70 AD, this is going to happen or, right. or in 90 AD, this is going to happen. Um, I think he's saying you need to be pushing forward to teleos. You need to be pushing forward to maturity. And when that point comes, when that time comes, when that state of being comes, then the immature things, the, the, the things that were part of your spiritual adolescence, your spiritual training, your spiritual childhood, those things will pass away. So yes, I do believe in cessation. I do believe that these things have ceased but not because the 27 books of the New Testament have all been written, but because the church reached a point of relatively or comparatively uh, mature state. And again, I I think in order to, to interpret, we have to compare. Like we, I, if I'm going to come down and say, here's what I think the interpretation ought to be, then I think that there has to be something comparative in Paul's, writings to be able to be relatively confident about that. So I'm relatively confident that Paul is talking about um, the maturity of of the church when he talks about the teleos, because he talks about the maturity of the church like that in other passages. So another passage that we might compare is Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, he says, that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And that word mature there is teleos. Mm-hmm. It, it's the word perfect. So it could say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to perfect manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I think Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 13 are great parallel texts that if we're going to interpret what is Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, I think we have to compare it with passages like Ephesians 4 to say Paul saw the work of the prophets and the apostles and and these early evangelists, he saw them as building a foundation. And we've talked about that foundation before. The foundation is Jesus, and then everything being built upon that, and for the church gradually reaching a state of relatively mature maturity, of relative maturity. Let me say that again. So Paul saw his work and the other prophets and evangelists that were doing the work in the first century, he saw them as laying a foundation so that the church could reach a state of relative maturity. Now, again, we might, we might balk at that and say, well, he says perfect. Well, again, perfect doesn't mean without mistake or, or flawless or whatever. I mean, it, it can mean that. But, but here it means mature. It means complete. Yeah. And, and, and so 
that has to be in some sense relative. It has to be comparative. And so I think Paul is saying right now, the church, I say right now, for him right now, that early church was in a state of infancy. Mm-hmm. That early church was in a state of childishness, and the miraculous gifts were part of that immaturity. And again, don't think negatively when I say immaturity. It's just a, your early your early progress, your early state, uh, a state of childishness. And he uses that that idea of being a child, and that eventually the church will be more mature, and these other right. gifts won't be needed. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, so many things coming out of both those texts, but one of the things that I was thinking about in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, you brought, you, you keep bringing up this idea of maturity versus immaturity. I keep thinking of the word naive, mm. you, know, you know, even in the context of what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, like to even say it on a practical level, like when you're a kid, you know, the, the capacity that you have for love, you know, it tends probably to be a little bit naive because you don't maybe know all the hurt and all the pain that could come with with trusting someone and loving someone in a familial, in a romantic sense, whatever. Um, and then he's saying that, you know, the perfect love, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It's not resentful. It doesn't boast. You know, th- there's, there's, a, there's a growing up process in, A, first of all, not realizing that necessarily that all those things are out there that you can be hurt in those ways mm-hmm. and then when you do realize that now choosing to love to trust in a way that's not naive but in a way that knows that those things are a possibility mm-hmm. and that sort of reminds me of the idea of take up your cross and follow me you know take on the suffering of life voluntarily mm-hmm. uh, know that it's coming <laughs> know that people are going to hurt you know that um that, that sometimes you'll love and sometimes you'll trust and sometimes you'll have, you know, you'll have faith and it, it, it won't always work out. And that's, that's mature. That's, and choosing not to be resentful about that, choosing not to curse that is, you know, you're, that's, that's overcoming the, you know, the, the way of Cain. That's overcoming the, you know, the, the times that we see in Scripture and the times we see in our own lives where, you know, it's just too much. It's too much to go from naive to, uh, to, to knowing all the hurt and all the evil that can, that can come up. And Paul is, you know, is it's, I was, I was thinking about how I've heard eight of these verses in first Corinthians 13 at every wedding. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. <laughs> but then, you know, we don't go into the prophecies right. will pass away and things like yeah. that. But, you know, obviously, you know, to, to kind of, uh, to step up on your soapbox with you for a second about context, how important it is to read that whole thing and, and, uh, and take in that idea of maturity along with this idea of love, because I think that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, our maybe maybe our culture today, specifically, I'm I'm sure it's happened across time as well. But I think we have kind of a naive view of love. You know, we have this sort of Hollywood version in our heads, and it's hard to break out of that. Yeah. And I think it's very easy. It is very easy to go from a naive sense to living a little bit of life, and you get stuck in that resentment, that bitterness, that well, I've been hurt. I, now I know what you know, putting yourself out there and trusting and loving and, and, you know, in the context of Christianity, doing the work of the Lord and and faith, I know what kind of hurt that can bring. So now I'm not going to do it. You know, now I'm going to be guarded and closed up. And, you know, that this speaks to 
a maturing that goes into it, it brings all of that together yeah well there's so many great points that you're making i and and it it reminds me of this that that to your point about that we always hear first corinthians 13 used at weddings and and when you look at the context it's it's obviously not talking about married love it's right. talking about love in the church and really paul's whole overarching point and especially you go back to chapter 12 and he talks about the body we have this tendency to think very individualistically sure. versus the collective sense in which paul almost always wrote that he's not talking about um even though there's an experience that we all have of maturing individually, that this is about maturing collectively. And to your point about naive love, that that that's exactly right, that the church in the first century was so very naive. They were so very childish, not not childish in a in a bad way just no. that this is all starting they hadn't yet been through the trials they hadn't yet been through the persecution they hadn't yet experienced everything that they were going to experience and all of that the work of the apostles the work of the prophets the work of the evangelists the suffering itself would all help to bring about teleos it would all help to bring about completeness and maturity collectively now a lot of us will look back at first corinthians 13 and and paul says when the perfect comes, then then you'll know everything fully, and you'll you you won't see in a mirror as if dimly, and and say, well, we still don't know everything fully, and and absolutely, I agree with that. But again, he's not talking about individual maturity. He's talking about collective maturity. That as the church, they were going to grow to a point of maturity so that they could come through all of these difficulties. I mean, it's been 2,000 years now. I think in some ways the church is relatively mature, but to go back to Paul's whole point, we prove our maturity by our love. That's how we prove our maturity. So we should be mature. The training wheels have been taken off. The question is, have we learned collectively to be patient, to be kind, to not envy, to not boast, to not be rude, to not be self-seeking? Have we learned those things? We should have. We've had enough time, collectively speaking, and again, we, we try to reduce everything to individualism, individualistically. You know, it's like, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not mature yet. Yes, obviously, we're all still on that process, but as a whole, we should be. And if we're not, and I would argue in many ways, we're not, we're not acting maturely, collectively, then we need to go back and really listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying, by, by this season of time, this season that the church collectively should be mature, this is what maturity will look like. But again, we have the same tendency to do what the early church did. They had all of these training wheels, so to speak, and, and they were so absorbed with those things that they weren't, they weren't striving towards maturity. We don't have those training wheels anymore. The training wheels have been taken away. We're not still speaking in tongues. We're not still prophesying. We're not still you know, getting this revelation of knowledge and, and sharing those things. And, and, but we're still focused on that. We're still like, well, why, why, why can't I? Why can't I speak in tongues? Why can't I heal people? Why can't I? And we're still focused on those things rather than focusing on the thing that Paul says, this is what should mark the church. That's what Jesus said should mark the church. They'll know you're my disciples, not by your speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. not by your ability to do all of these things. That was part of the early ministry, but they'll know you're my disciples 
by the love you have for one another. And over and over and over again, this is how the church is built up to maturity. Ephesians 4 is through love, through speaking this truth, this gospel truth in love, that we build one another up in love so that collectively we become the most loving community on the face of the earth. Now, if that's not true, if we are not that, then it's not because the miraculous gifts fell short. It's not because the Spirit fell short. It's not because Jesus fell short. It's because we're not actually listening to the New Testament. We're not actually listening to the prophets who laid this foundation, to Jesus himself who tells us, this is the way you love. This is what it looks like. And to your point, we let Hollywood define for us what love is, that love is this warm, gushy feeling that we have. Love isn't a feeling that we have. It's something that we do. It is practicing patience. It is practicing kindness. It is not being rude. It is not being self-centered. It is not being resentful. It is believing all things and hoping all things. Uh, it is enduring and persevering. This is what love is supposed to look like, and this is what the church collectively is supposed to look like. This is the sign of a mature church. One one more passage before we kind of wrap this up is Philippians chapter 2. Um, and, and he starts from the very beginning. Um, probably most listeners are familiar with Philippians 2, especially verses 1 through 11. And he, he tells them to have the mind of Christ, to consider others more significant than themselves. Uh, but he says in verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says this is what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. Again, this is what maturity looks like. And then he says in verse 12, he spells out what Jesus did, verses 5 through 11. And then verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, we This is another one. We need to spend a whole podcast just talking about the abuse of this one passage. He's not He's not saying you all have to figure it out for yourselves individually. Again, we like to read everything individualistically, and we take this to mean that Paul is saying, hey, Travis, you work out your own salvation. Wes, you work out your own salvation. Bob, you work out your own salvation. He never talked that way. We, the, the New Testament is never written in those sort of terms. He's saying, I'm not going to be with the church at Philippi, and in my absence, y'all— all, or as we say in Texas, all y'all need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That term work out means to bring it to completion, bring it to a state of maturity, bring that it's not the same word of teleos, but it's the idea of working to bring something to completeness. What does completeness look like? Well, he's already told us what it looks like in the first part of the chapter. Have the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is what maturity looks like. This is what it looks like to bring your salvation to its completion, to its fullness, to maturity. This is what it looks like to work out your salvation, to live out your salvation, to live out the good news in your life is to love one another. This is what maturity looks like. 
And so again and again and again in the New Testament, we read, this is completeness. This is maturity. This is teleos, love one another. And so I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't think he's changed. We sort of treat the first part of the chapter like he's talking about love, and then we sort of shift gears and say now he's talking about miraculous gifts. No, he never stopped talking about love. He's saying that this is what maturity looks like. This is what the perfection is. It is loving each other the way Jesus calls us to love one another. Um, and and that's, that's the state of perfection, the state of maturity that we all need to be striving towards. That's what it is to work out our salvation, to bring our salvation to its completeness and fullness and maturity. Um, and again, if the church isn't there, if we're not loving each other that way, then again, it's not because the miraculous gifts didn't stick around long enough. It's because we're not actually keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And if we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and make every effort to live out the gospel, to work out our salvation and bring it to maturity, then we really could be the most loving people on the face of the earth. We really could lay down our lives for one another and consider each other more significant than ourselves. That's the gospel. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.